Hi, um, so this is the second week that we're coming to you with the Bible study online because we are in quarantine right now. And it does feel a little weird coming on campus, taping this. There's just a few people in here spaced out. Um, but I am excited because the Lord has a message that He has prepared for each and every one of us right now to meet us exactly where we're at. Uh, this is not catching God by surprise. Um, and uh, I know that the Lord wants to encourage each and every one of us. I know He's encouraged me with this message. We're going to be talking about the spirit of Elijah in this message. So, um, First Kings, we're going to keep going through our Bible study where we're at. We're going through the entirety of the Word of God. And of course, um, this last week's reading went through First Kings, you know, basically the middle, I think chapter 12, all the way into the first chapter of Second Kings. So let's open with a quick word of prayer and dive into what God's prepared for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you and I praise you um, that, that you are our Father, that you love us with an everlasting love. I pray right now, Lord, um, wherever someone is listening to this message, that your Holy Spirit would come and that you would fill us uh, afresh and anew, Lord God, with um, the shalom and the peace of God that um, even the, the physical space that you're in right now, um, I just pray in Jesus' name that peace would, would enter the atmosphere where you are as you hear the living word of God, um, that, that it would settle your heart and your mind in the name of Jesus, that as we sit at your banqueting table, that you have prepared before us in the presence of our enemy, even plague, Lord, um, that, that we would be able to sit, that we would feed our spirit man right now, that we would grow in, uh, in strength, Lord God, um, that we would glorify your name and that we would be changed because we take this time to come into the presence of the living God. Um, we expect nothing short than transformation for fear to be broken off in Jesus' name right now in every heart and in every home as your word comes right now, anointed by your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So, um, all right. We, uh, we're, we're leading up in these stories in First and Second Kings to Israel's exile into Babylon. That's where we're going to be going. And maybe some of you feel like you're a little bit in exile right now. The Lord has a good word for your heart. But these stories, it's basically how we go from the united tribes of Israel, remember under David's reign, and then also Solomon, his son, to then a divided kingdom. And it's split in two. So that's what we read about this week. You've got now two rival kingdoms, but then also how God, um, he tries to prevent the corruption of Israel um, using his prophets. And that's where we're gonna be highlighting the prophet of Elijah. Um, but it, it ends up that they do get exiled from the promised land and it's unavoidable because of the consequences of Israel's sin. 
last week, you know, we looked at Solomon um, and how he builds this amazing and beautiful, exquisite, world-renowned uh, uh, temple um, that his father David had in his heart to build for the Lord. Um, but then we also watched how he makes these terrible choices, how he perverts the, the gift of wisdom that the Lord gives to him. And the choices that he makes in sin and failure um, literally bring the kingdom into to ruin where it falls apart. Um, we, we ended with Solomon's story with him. And remember, he marries many, many, many different women, has many different concubines um, from the surrounding kingdoms. And then within that, he does exactly what God said that the kings were not supposed to do. This is why I tell you not to marry these women. It's because then you would adopt these false gods that they come in with. Uh, and then also he implements the actual idol worship um, to these false gods, and he brings that into Israel. And we'll see that that sin then perpetuates throughout the generations for, for hundreds of years because of what Solomon does. He also amasses a huge amount of wealth. Um, and then at the end, he literally enforces slave labor for his building projects doing exactly what God told him. And all of us in Deuteronomy, he said, don't do these things. And Solomon goes through them like a checklist and breaks the laws of God. So Solomon's son, he takes over for him once Solomon dies. And his name is Rehoboam, Rehoboam. And unfortunately, we've seen that our sins don't just affect us throughout the stories of God's word, but he tries to show us through these living examples. It goes into the next generations unless you deal with your sin before God and repent and turn. So we see the same sins in Rehoboam who acts just like his dad and he's greedy. He has a lust for power. He increases the taxes on the people so heavily that then the northern tribes say, no way, and, and they rebel, um, and they actually form their own kingdom. So now you have this kingdom completely divided in two. So you've got Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and now under the leadership of Jeroboam, uh, we, we have in the southern kingdom, Judah, and it's centered in Jerusalem. Uh, that comes from the line of David. And then we have now the northern kingdom in our, our storyline called Israel. And you got to make sure when you're reading the Bible, because we are not going to be Bible literate in this study, we are learning the full counsel of God, um, that sometimes when Israel is referred to, it's talking about the entire nation. But then in our story in this place here, you have the kingdom divided, and you have the northern and southern, and Israel here is the northern kingdom. They make their capital in Samaria, where Jeroboam also, listen to this, he makes two new temples. And the reason he does this is because he doesn't want, he wants to break with Solomon's temple. He wants to compete with Solomon's temple. So uh, there, that's in the south in Jerusalem. So he puts one golden calf in each of those places to represent the God of Israel. And you've been with me. We've already gone through Exodus. There's the reference of the golden calf there in Exodus 32. So the story, as you read, you kept going back and forth. It's telling the stories of the north 
and the stories of the South. It's talking about their kings and then their kingdoms. And it ends up that there's about 20 kings in each kingdom that succeed one another. And, and this is what the book constantly points out, you know, and is making us kind of this checklist as we look at these kings, whether they are good or whether they are bad. The book points out, basically, did this king worship the one true living God alone, or did they bring and continue and perpetuate the worship of other gods and other idols? And the other thing is, did the king deal with this idolatry? Uh, did that king stay true to the covenant that, that the house of God has made with, with, with man, literally saying, I, I want to be in a relationship with you, that you would follow Torah, you would follow my laws and follow my ways. And so we're looking to see, did they stay and remain in that covenant or did they break that covenant? Uh, did they remain just or did they become corrupt? And here is the sad test results. Basically, in the northern kingdom, none of the kings passed this test. <laughs> none of them. So zero for 20. Then you go into the southern kingdoms, and there's about eight that do out of the 20. Um, now, we also have, as we're going over these big stretches of Scripture, many, many chapters, and we're just looking at the themes of what God's doing, you have the prophets that enter in at this point. And their job is not to just profess the, the, the future, not like a crystal ball and those kinds of things, but it was actually to be a mouthpiece for God. What the prophets of God would do as a mouthpiece of God is they would call out idolatry. They would point it out. They would point out and expose injustice when they saw the kings and the people breaking God's laws, breaking his ways, because our God is a just God. So it would expose it by these prophets. They were used by God to remind Israel of what God had intended for them to be. <laughs> it's true for us today, too. They were called out. They were supposed to be different than the surrounding nations. Israel was supposed to be a light. They were supposed to reflect who the one true living God is, what His ways were, what His ways are, and then literally, as you follow those ways, it opens into paths of blessings and life instead of cursings and death. So Israel would be challenged by God's prophets. We're gonna see them over and over popping up. And their message was always to repent and to turn back to God. Again, very timely right now. Now in all of this, we get this, this very colorful character named Elijah. Um, and this prophet shows up in our story. Uh, he had a, a ministry and, and uh, literally a calling to square off with King Ahab, who was a wicked king. The New Testament, this is amazing, he speaks more about Elijah, the New Testament does, more about Elijah than any other Old Testament prophet. He even appears in the New Testament two different times. 
He appears at the Mount of Transfiguration. If you guys remember, in Matthew 17, there's Jesus as he's walking on the earth and he's with his disciples. He brings Peter, James, and John with him up to a, a, a mount and literally shows his glory as the Son of God. He reveals who he is and his manifest glory breaks out and then there's two that come and show up and it's Elijah and Moses representing the law and the prophets. But there he is. So he shows up in the New Testament, Elijah. Um, I believe that he also appears in the future in Revelation chapter 11. It talks about these two witnesses that are going to come on the scene before Jesus Christ comes again. And I believe that Elijah is one of those witnesses before the second coming of the Lord. Elijah does eight major miracles that are recorded. He stops the rain for three and a half years. And the amazing thing is that the New Testament actually talks about Elijah and how he is a man just like you and I, uh, but yet he prayed and it literally stopped the rains coming from the heavens. It's three and a half years that this happens in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. He also has fire come down from heaven at the big confrontation at Mount Carmel. Who is the one true God? That was the contest with the prophets of Baal, and we'll look at that a little more in detail in a minute. But another part of his profile, which is very exciting and encouraging to look at, do you realize that when you read this story this last week through the word of God in 1 Kings, actually it's 2 Kings, um, he gets raptured. Elijah gets caught up into the heavens and picked up by a chariot. Um, the, the prophets of God actually see this happen. We'll get into Elisha next week in our reading. When we uh, talk about Elijah, it should also, though, remind you of another notorious character called Jezebel. Jezebel. She was the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. She was the wife of King Ahab, that wicked king of Israel. And then there's allusions that are made about her in the New Testament, and literally speaking of, of the spirit that operates through this woman, Jezebel. And you see that spirit through her actions, through her character, through what she, she does. Um, and, and again, I believe that we might be talking a little bit more about the spirit of Jezebel uh, next week. Um, but today we're going to focus on the spirit of Elijah. But Jezebel, here in our story, her character becomes one in definition with words, you know, synonymous with crafty and cruel and malicious. She's a wicked, wicked woman. Um, there, there's this story about this, this guy, Nabal, and um, he has his little vineyard there. And the king sees his vineyard, and he likes where it's located, and he wants it for himself. So King Ahab asks if he can buy uh, this little vineyard. And he says, no, it's been in my family for generations, and so I don't want to sell it to you. Uh, King Ahab then goes and throws a fit like a, a two-year-old and is pouting, and he won't eat his dinner, and he rolls over in his bed, and he faces the wall, and his wife Jezebel comes in and says, what's wrong with you? Um, she hears the story and says, don't worry about it. I will take care of Nabal, and I will get you that vineyard. She goes and actually acquires this vineyard that Nabal doesn't want to sell 
um, for her husband. And I want you to note, this is how she gets it. It's by inquisition, it's by false accusation, and then it ends in the execution, wrongly, of Nabal. And that's in 1 Kings 21. The Lord in Revelation, so this is why we can't separate. And the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God in the New Testament. And in order to understand both, you need to have a, a, an, an understanding and be reading in both the Old Testament all the way through into the New Testament because there's references, they explain one another. If you want the full wisdom and counsel of God, if you want to be actually accurate in the prophetic and what God is doing and what he's saying, especially in these seasons and times, um, the Lord in Revelation writes letters, the book of Revelation writes letters to the churches, and it seems that this is referenced in that letter to Thyatira. That's, a, that's written to the churches, and, and one of the churches that we're going to see a time where there's inquisition, false accusation, and then execution that literally comes through that same spirit of Jezebel, and maybe we'll talk about that more next week. But, but we've got to start learning that these things that seem to be old and archaic are fresh and alive living words for us today. Um, let the Spirit, or the church hear what the Spirit is saying um, for those of you who are paying attention. But then you have this famous confrontation at Mount Carmel. And this is with Jezebel. She's got her own prophets um, that are demonically charged. They are not speaking the words of God, but they are speaking the words of the demonic and the, the, the demonic kingdom. Elijah, one man, comes against 450 prophets of Baal under Jezebel. And this is such a great, great line right here. Elijah goes... And as there's this face-off between 450 prophets of Baal and one man of God, Elijah, comes, one prophet of the living God comes, he goes and he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. And that's a word for each of us right now. We're going to circle back to that. So even after Elijah goes and he pours water, he says, pour water on the altar, pour water on the sacrifice, pour water around the ground around the altar, pour water on it three separate times. And then Elijah, the man of God, the lone prophet stands and cries out to the living God and asks for fire to come and consume this sacrifice after he had rebuilt the altar of the Lord. And the fire of the Lord comes down from heaven and literally consumes, the, the, even the ground, it says, is licked up in the fire that comes from heaven. And the one true living God is shown in his glory where the prophets of Baal have been crying out to their false God, cutting themselves, crying out, and, and Elijah is standing there. And you gotta picture this. You gotta put yourself in these stories. He's mocking these guys who are calling out to Baal to come and bring fire to their altar. Blood is literally gushing out, it says in, in the scriptures. 
And, and he says, maybe your God is, is on the toilet. Maybe your God is taking a nap. Perhaps your God is on a vacation. Maybe you need to cry out even louder. And so in that moment, the one true living God is shown, Yahweh is shown, and then Baal as a false God. Um, Elijah then goes and slaughters 450 of Jezebel's prophets of Baal. So 1 Kings 18, 21, I want you to hear this, and it's spoken uh, to your heart, to your mind, right now through Elijah the prophet. He speaks it to me. He speaks it to you. Elijah came unto all the people. So there's all the people came, and they wanted to look at this showdown and, and who was going to show up, which God would show up. And Elijah yells out to them, and he says, how long will you waver? How long will you hobble between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Um, the Lord is calling us. He's shaking us right now, isn't he? I want to center on that the spirit of Elijah, and even that word, as I read that in our um, you know, Bible reading, uh, in our immersed Bibles, I wrote in, in the margin right there that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Uh, anxiety and fear that's trying to grip the church right now. Elijah, the prophet, is speaking to you and me. He's speaking to, to my heart uh, and, and you right now going, who is God? Is it is Baal God or is the one true living? Just choose whom you will serve. Um, and, and when you realize who God is and that picture of fire coming down from heaven, then fear has to be like evacuated. It has to depart. It has to leave in Jesus' name when you don't wobble to and fro, but we serve the one true living God who's seated on the throne, who knows about coronavirus and all the economic, everything that's unfolding right now. Okay, Malachi, Malachi chapter three, verse one, listen, prophesied of a messenger preparing God's way. This is in the Old Testament. It was ancient prophecies, prophesying that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse three through four, it spoke of a voice that was crying out, um, literally in the desert to prepare the way of the Lord. There were prophecies, you guys, that the Messiah would be preceded by the prophet Elijah. So listen, before the Messiah is coming, they had ancient prophecies. Before the Messiah comes, Elijah would come First. And it wasn't just for the first time that he came, but the second time that the Messiah is coming, Elijah again will precede the second coming of Jesus Christ, okay? So I wanna look at this. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse 16 through 17, it tells us that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, he alludes to what the prophet in the Old Testament says, that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And then the message is always repent. And repent simply means turn, turn. Malachi chapter four, again, this is the Old Testament, 
4, verses 5 through 6, God sends Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And whenever it's talking about the great and awesome day of the Lord, that's talking about his second coming. Elijah's mission is to bring about reconciliation and repentance. Listen to the verse. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Do you know that to this day, at Passover, which we're about to come up to right now in our timing, because God keeps aligning as we're just going through the Word of God. He's lining up Scripture with what we're dealing with right now. So as, as Passover comes and approaches, this is uh, literally what Jews do to this day. They set a place setting out for Elijah, the prophet Elijah, to come. They literally fill a glass of wine for Elijah at Passover. They make sure that the door is unlocked. I don't think a locked door would be a problem if Elijah came, but they leave it unlocked so that he can come and sit at the table at the Passover with them. Their hope at Passover is that if Elijah comes, then the Messiah himself can't be far behind. The Jews await for the first coming of the Messiah, right? We know this. Uh, we know, though, that Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, has already come and that he was our Passover lamb. We're awaiting the second coming of Yeshua, of Jesus, the Messiah. But again, as the scriptures are telling us, it's going to be preceded by the prophet Elijah as the prophesied pattern. We're learning how to do that in this Bible study to Think in the Hebraic mindset and the way that the scriptures have been presented. Again, it's not in that Greek mindset. We've done this over and over again, that linear line. A prophecy is done one time and then it's complete. But there's layers to that happening again and again so that we can learn and we won't be caught unaware. He's teaching us his kids like a good father. So again, we're looking for the spirit of Elijah to come before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then I believe also a literal Elijah will show up when the Antichrist is on the scene, which we'll see in Revelation. But we're talking about here, just like John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the first coming of the Messiah, the Lord by his Holy Spirit is pouring out that same spirit of Elijah right now, right now. Um, I'm, I'm watching this happen before the second coming of the Messiah again, when he returns to rule and reign and judge the world of its sin and reconcile all things. Elijah, what, was, what, did, what did he do? It's simple. He aroused the people out of their apathy. He called them out to repent, to turn from false idols and from false gods. And God right now is shaking everything that can be shaken. We are living in, the, the, the prophetic is opening up in front of us. These are Bible times, you guys. Uh, we're, we're literally, Haggai 2 verses 6 through 8 talks about everything that can be shaken will be shaken because, because he so loves the world, 
because he's not okay with any of his kids not having the chance to sit in just a comfortable life and, and false gods that they think are going to protect and save them. He says, no, they're, they're actually, there's demonic forces behind that. And it leads to death and separation from me. But because God so loved the world, he's allowing things to be shaken for every single one of us right now. And he's shaking false gods off of their throne. False gods that you didn't know you have inside of yourself, that I have inside of me. Judgment starts in the house of the Lord first. So right now, anything that's starting to creep out of you, you're, you're, you're seeing these things that you didn't know, God allows these shakings so that we can actually see and repent and turn. You know, we put our trust in so many other things, and it's easy to do here in the West. We put our trust in the governments. We put our trust in our finances. We put our trust in our health. We put our trust in our job security. We put our trust in distractions, uh, you know, uh, in, and even in relationships, in entertainment. All of those things are being shaken right now. And I like this. I heard this recently, just this week. We have been praying for revival. <laughs> the, the house of God has been praying for revival. And we are in a uncomfortable revival right now, but the church is like kind of asleep to it, and we are being called by Elijah, even in our scriptures here, and that same spirit to wake up, church. We're in revival. Don't miss revival. <laughs> Allow this time to be a purification process in your life, to actually shake off those false gods that you've set up in your own heart and in your own mind, your quick places of comfort, so that you and I, listen, this is why we want to have that purification take place so that then we can be vessels and containers of God's glory, His manifest glory. So I just want you to close your eyes, get in a place where you are just before the Lord right now. We're gonna end with prayer, and I want you to agree with me in prayer. And just in your own heart, Picture Elijah, step into that word that we read, and 450 prophets of Baal and Jezebel and the fear that's happening over the people and that, that moving away from God and that one man, the one true prophet of God coming, Elijah, and he repairs the altar of the Lord. And picture it. It's been in array, disarray. It's, it's fallen apart and by his hands because it couldn't be made uh, with, with any um, uh, tools. It said that the stones and the altar of the Lord, it had to be uh, done with human hands. So he picks them up with his bare hands and he repairs quietly all by himself the altar of the Lord. And the Lord is speaking to each and every one of us right now. Repair the altar in your heart. Repair that altar in your mind to the one true living God. Put on the altar your, your time, what you're doing with your time right now. You've been given time, and it's a gift, time. Give them your time. Give them what you watch. Ask them to cleanse your eyes right now in Jesus' name. The things that you watch. Say, Lord, I, I, want, I want to do what you want me to do. With, with, with what I watch, with what 
I say, cleanse my mouth, cleanse the words, cleanse the jokes that come out of my mouth, the songs that I listen to, the, the phrases that come so easily, quicken me to hear the things that are coming out of my mouth. Let them be thanks and praise and worship to you that I would be building instead of tearing down in my relationships, Lord God. I, if there are, this Elijah and the spirit of Elijah would come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. If there is relationships that you need to make right, you do it quickly when this message stops. You go and you call on the phone and you repent. You say, I'm sorry, and you make things right in your family, in your relationships. And then in your own heart, just tell them, I want to be part of the remnant. I want to be part of the remnant that's getting ready and prepared in this season for the harvest that is about to take place, and I don't want to miss it. Lord God, would you sprinkle me with that water like it talks about in Ezekiel that purifies, that cleanses. Pray for a reverence and a fear of God and His holiness to return to your relationship with Him right now in Jesus' name. And then uh, we ask that, Lord God. I ask that for everyone who's praying this with me right now. Um, and I just want to leave you with this last thought, um, that to, to return to God what you are returning to, yes, the one true living God who is coming back soon, very soon, but I want you to know that God is gracious. This is His Word. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. And He relents from sending calamity. That's who the one true living God is. And that's who He wants you to return to with all of your heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. I will see you next week. And again, I just want you guys to know that I'm praying for you. We love you. Bye. <clears throat>